Welcome to the Todd DeVoe Show, exploring the best ideas and lessons for leaders. Good morning, good morning, good morning, or good afternoon, depending on where you are at in this fine world. And today, I'm excited. Um, this book here is called uh, Sisters in the Brotherhood uh, by Sydney Schooner Ball. Um, is, is a very interesting read. Cool, cool ideas here that you know when i was a young man uh there weren't a lot of women firefighting um it's getting uh obviously uh, more and more today uh, and cindy is uh, one of the female firefighters who really uh, paved the way uh for this and uh exciting to have cindy on the show today and talking about her book and what it means and a little bit more than that so cindy welcome to the todd devo show well, thank you, Todd. I appreciate you having me on, and I'm excited to talk with you about my book. Absolutely. Yeah, so let's talk about the the firefighting career, that, that you, the path you took. You know, I mean, back in the, in the 70s and 80s, I mean, I don't know how many female firefighters there were um, in the country, but I'm sure that you're probably, like, uh, one of the few. Is that, is that a correct statement? Yes, uh, I believe back in the day, I, I got hired in 1987, and nationally, I think 3% or less were women. Today, it's still a small amount, but but luckily, um, you know, the career is um, attracting more females. So, but back in the day, it was it was uh, pretty rare. Well, I, I've seen some stuff on LinkedIn and, and, and through the press, but there's, there's a few cities now that have like all-female houses. You know, which is kind of yes. I was really lucky, actually. I was lucky to uh, show up when I when I was a captain and had an all female crew. It was yeah. exciting. It was fun. It was definitely eye catching. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> competent, competent young women. I was really proud to uh, to be on the truck with them and and, and just uh, we had a great time. We laugh and it just was it was different different vibe. Absolutely. So. I mean, you say here in your book, it's called, the, I mean, the title of it is Sister and a Brotherhood. Um, and and so, as most people know, or, or can at least figure out just by watching things, that, you know, um, in public safety, law enforcement, firefighting um, is is very brotherhood related, right? I mean, we talk about the thin red line, thin blue line, those type of things. Right. Um, what's it mean to be what's it mean to break in and be the, to be the one, like the only female in the house or, or going through those steps? Um, it was, it was just, I was so excited to uh, make it through the process because as you know, you don't just show up and they put you on a truck. Um, you have to get your state license, uh, your certification in order to even start testing for different departments. And back in the day, uh, you tested individually for each department, which involved, you know, a series of written and practical exams. And you get put on a list. And back in that day, you know, there were a lot of people competing for one or two slots. And so that was the process. I tested for a year. And then when I got hired, um, we had five and a half weeks of boot camp. And there were two women, as I talk about myself and the other woman. And she was a triathlete. She was fierce. And, uh, we had five and a half weeks. And as you know, you're, you're a probie the first year you're tested every, I think couple of months by a different officer. And at the end of the year, or in, up until that year, 
uh, the final test, you could be fired at the drop of a hat. So, it, and it wasn't, and it was uh, both men and women. It wasn't, of course, just for women. Right. But, you know, it was fun. Uh, we laughed. Um, we laughed so much in the beginning of my career. And I remember just being feeling very protected, but also I was lucky enough to work with a crew of men that they, they showed me the ropes and, and taught me, you know, that you check out every single piece of equipment on that truck. Your air pack is number one, of course, because that's your lifeline, but you never get lazy, which I was older. I was 30. I knew that. And I had an excellent work ethic anyway, which I think is so important. Um, and I was like a sponge and I learned and they, they, they kind of forced me out there when I talk about, you know, the, the, the chief and, 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 and different calls I ran, it's like, come on, you know, you can do it. Let's do it. So they gave me a lot of confidence, uh, not to say that there wasn't, uh, probably behind, you know, closed doors, some apprehension among men or, you know, they might've said things, but, you know, I really didn't let that bother me because I wasn't there to, I was there because I truly wanted to pursue the career and do it to the best of my abilities. No, you know, that's the thing too, is, is like when you go through that process and understand the, 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 the why behind it, um, and, and not fight it, I think it, it makes you a better, uh, a better person in general. Like I remember when I went through, um, when we had to, as a probie, uh, they pulled, we pulled a fire truck out onto the tarmac and we, and this is from upstate New York. So, uh, anytime it went outside the, the, <laughs> the, if the garage door went up and the barn door went up and you pull the truck out, you bring it back in, you have to wash it. Right. Because of salt. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And, and doing so, you know, as a probie guy, you really got to have to do it. Right. And but then you had to go through each piece of equipment because then you're learning your truck, right? You're yes. learning that I was on, on a truck, not a, on an engine. I was on a rescue. Um, okay. And so, so you're learning that that vehicle, right? Yes. Whether it's the engine upside or, the, truck or the, the ladder or whatever the thing is, upside down. Absolutely. So like when you're under stress, um, is, is that how you felt about it? Or did you feel that it was hazing? It wasn't hazing at all. Um, like I said, it, it every uh, morning at shift change when we were on shift, I mean, uh, the shift that was getting off duty were, was responsible for, of course, putting the station in order and washing the trucks for the oncoming shift, which was my shift. Uh, and we were responsible for, you know, compartment by compartment, starting as a probie, you know, compartment by compartment, learning everything in each compartment. At the time, I wasn't a paramedic. So, you know, we did have medical gear. I was, we were EMTs and had basically medical gear. But everything from top to bottom, we... Uh, I learned along with, with the other guys, obviously I was in a house and I was the probie. They were, so they were, they were teaching me and that was just from the beginning. Um, uh, and then of course, you know, we would, we would have uh, training on the different tools and what were they? Uh, the most important thing I could say is when you're on a call and the officer calls for a tool, he does never, he never wants, he or she never wants to hear the banging of the compartment doors because you can't find it. You don't know where it's at. And that, that is a, that, that, you know, I learned that early on is, uh, and some people look when I was an officer, they would write it down, you know, and if you had to write it down, you write it down. We had, uh, when I first started, which they, they don't do anymore, at least they didn't do is we had to, um, when we were getting off duty, we not only had to wash all the vehicles, 
we had to wash the chief's truck. We had, you know, battalion chiefs. So we had their vehicles. We had to wash all them up. We had to take them and gas them. And then uh, we had a flag. We had a, we had a battalion chief. He was on a different shift, but he was from New York and he uh, got hurt. He retired and became a battalion chief with, with our department, (laughs) but we had a ritual. I mean, I I know that was a running joke. I know you know what I'm talking about, but uh, we had a, we had a flag. And every morning, you know, that flag, we'd go out there and raise the flag. And, and then every night before sunset, you'd see us out on this busy road. It was kind of funny when I think about it now. We'd go out there and we'd lower the flag and, you know, we'd properly, you know, fold it and float, fold it into the triangle and, you know, take it and put it in its uh, place inside the station. And we just had different traditions like that. Um, you know, we always ate together. You know, that was the thing. We, we we didn't have diets back then, per se. It was like, no. And then you're always the one to get up first and, and uh, you know, get up first and, and start cleaning up. And then we had chores. And as a probie, if you're really smart, you do all those chores without being asked. Uh, then they assign them. But in the beginning, it was kind of like, hey, you do this, I'll do that. And like I said, I was, I was really fortunate. And I don't know... Um, Cause I had older chiefs, uh, but I had, you know, I worked with younger guys and everybody was, it was, it was good. I, I did have a Lieutenant at the time that he didn't care what time of day or what day of the week it was. If something needed to be cleaned or the hose needed to be repacked because it just didn't look right. He you were out there doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, re- I remember one night I was sleeping because I'd go to bed early and I was sleeping and he decided he was going to pull all the uh, large diameter four inch hose off the hose bed and repack it because it just didn't look right. So he had the other two guys out there with him and they're like, well, where is Cindy? And he he goes, oh, she's sleeping. They're like, oh no. Oh hell no. (laughs) Oh no. We're not doing it without her. And so here they come. They woke me up. Get out there. You're part of the crew. And it was those kind of things that were great. What drew you to the profession? Well, I never grew up thinking I wanted to be a firefighter. Uh, I talk in my book, it's, it's kind of did a 360 because I talk in my book when my brother and I were uh, growing up, I was six and he was 12 and a half. My parents, I grew up in poverty uh, and um, they didn't have any money for Christmas presents. So uh, the fire department came to our house and I got my first doll. A chatty Kathy doll. I was six and a half and my brother was, or I was six. My brother was 12 and a half and he got a bowling set. So I always looked back at that and went, huh. But really what drew me to the profession is I had had a job of the week club. I worked in, you know, weighted tables. I was in banking in high school. Uh, and I just, and then I started modeling in my early twenties. So I did everything. I had a boyfriend who I met at 17 and we started living together and he became a forest ranger. And one of the guys said to him, you need to become a firefighter. So he went to fire school and I'd go and visit him at the fire station. Uh, off, uh, I love to work out. I started working out jumping rope running when I was 22 and I just fell in love with it. And so I was always doing the races in the area and kept myself physically fit. I'd go in and see him and look cute at the fire station with all the guys. And, you know, how, I mean, you know that the girlfriends, wives come in and you sit at the table and you're like, Ooh, you know, I'm with all these guys. And the chief said to me, you need to become a firefighter. And I looked at him like, you're, you're crazy. <laughs> but, um, you know, I was at a point where I was in my late twenties 
you know, mid twenties. And I was just kind of like, man, what am I going to do? I, I can't see myself working as a secretary my whole life or bank teller. I used to say, I'm going to be that person on the high rise in downtown Fort Lauderdale with my nose pressed up against the glass, looking out at the ocean going, man, you know, what's life? What, what is this all about? Is that all there is? And so uh, what I did is, um, you know, I, I had that in the back of my mind. And then as the wheels of fate, and I talk about it in my book, I'm sure you don't know, my boyfriend and I were just, you know, we were 12 years together. I was 17 years old. He was six and a half years older than me. And we were just, you know, fall, we were just growing apart of what our life expectations were. And so he basically said, you know, you're out of here. My sister came, flew in from Texas, grabbed me, went home, went to Texas, hated Texas. Sorry, Texans. I, there's nice people in Texas, but I, it's not the state for me for a lot of different reasons. Uh, just could, I missed palm trees and sand. Right. And so uh, anyway, I came back, I saved up money and came back and worked as a secretary and then said, you know, I'm going to go to the unemployment office because I can't do this. I got fired about a week before my vacation. And what am I going to do? I'm almost, you know, I'm 29. What am I going to do? So I saw a sign and it said, if you're an American Indian, call this number. And I was like, oh, I'm not doing that. You know, I was ashamed. I was, uh, my great grandfather was full blood of Mohawk and uh, my father. And it was just a point of contention. It was never, it was something I was ashamed of. And I, I hate saying it, but it was honest. I was ashamed of it. I had a, I had a note my mother had left me uh, in a drawer that was my great grandfather back. You know, he had an ex uh, that he had to have notarized stating he was a full blooded Mohawk Indian. His parents had died in the early 1800s. His mother, he never knew his mother. His father told him that when he was a boy, he was dead and it was notarized. And I had this letter in this drawer and so I thought, you know, I never really admitted I was an Indian. At the time, I did have dark hair, <laughs> but um, I went and I called the Seminole. In, I called the number. It was a Seminole Indian Reservation in, in Hollywood, Florida. Met up with a, a, a counselor there. She was not of Indian descent, but wonderful. And when I told her I wanted to be a firefighter, she almost fell off the chair. And I told her I was really interested in it. I couldn't afford the $100 for fire school. And so uh, that started the ball rolling. Uh, that's when I, I signed up with the fire academy and got my got my fire certification, tested for a year, and got hired with Broward County, which is Broward Sheriff Fire Rescue now. Um, and I never looked back. It's it was the best. It was a lottery ticket, in my opinion. And yeah. I earned, it, but it was a lottery ticket. Yeah. I I have so much. Uh, passion even now and respect and, and just, I'm kind of protective of the fire service. You know, I really believe it's an important, uh, just, it's just a fantastic job. There's been a lot of changes over the years, you know, in the fire service, um, some good, some bad, um, you know, was, yeah, I've actually seen this during your career. Um, how, how has the impact been for not the impact but how has those changes impacted uh your view of the fire service or the view of the future of the fire service i've seen and uh i saw changes later in my career particularly as i as i rose up through the ranks um and i've actually uh talked to women that are currently on the job as well as those who left the profession 
I think it's generational change. Uh, I welcome the young people, but I still, and we talked about it earlier, I feel, I was taught that the fire service is a paramilitary operation, and it's that way for a number of reasons. Because when push comes to shove and decisions need to be made and lives are at stake, somebody has to be in charge. Now, it doesn't mean that if you, you know, if you see something, say something, but if it's at the time that something needs to be done, that's the officer's decision. Um, I've also seen where I felt females are, are, I've seen where people, people who had no experience with the fire rescue service, they saw a fire truck go by, they, they, uh, they signed up for the, you know, training. Most of them were in later years wanted to be paramedics and they didn't really want to be firefighters, but in, in most departments now you have to be dual certified. They weren't prepared. Uh, probably in a number of ways. And probably the, the, I used to mentor young females, young males as well. Uh, and, and the problems that I would see with them was in my opinion, they got too familiar Mm. with, uh, two, two hands, you know, too familiar. And I did have a couple of firefighters that are dear friends of mine said, Cindy, you know what we loved about you is you, 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 you weren't that, you know, I didn't go up and hug everybody. I always said, nobody's, I'm not kissing any, I'm not giving anybody a big smooch when I meet them, unless it's my husband. And if somebody wanted to like, I'll sh- I'd put up my hand to shake people's hands. Not to say that I didn't get close to guys. Cause you know, you live together, you work these calls together and you see each other a lot. And then you say, Hey, how you doing? And you give it, you know, a hug, but I didn't do that with everyone. I found some of the females, males would come to me and say, listen, you know, they're putting me in kind of a precarious position here because I don't even really know her and she's coming in and she's new and she's giving me a hug or she's sitting on my lap or she's, you know, and I would have to say, hey, you can't do that. Yeah. That is not appropriate behavior. And, you know, at the, at there was a point in time where we didn't have separate bathrooms. You know, there was right. like, you know, or we had two bathrooms and I'd tell the guys there'd be eight guys and one woman. I'd say, listen, let me get my stuff together. You can, of course, use that bathroom. That's crazy. There's 80 of you and one of me. Just let me get my things. And I would, you know, always put my things. I would, like, fold them up and put them in a corner, you know, because I didn't want them spread out. And I would have uh, sometimes guys would come to me and go, ah, you go in there and she's got her bra hanging from the thing. And I don't really know what to, how to deal with that. And I'm like, you know, I mean, these are personal things when people live together 24 hours right. or more that, I just feel like you have to be uh, aware of, and it's not a bad thing. It's not, you know, earth shattering, but I feel like um, men and women and women, uh, particularly of this, this generation, some of the young men, I, I think they get, you know, you need to kind of have a little bit more, uh, be a little bit more standoffish and, and, and really not, you know, earn, earn your, earn your keep, but really be a little bit more selective in your behavior. Yeah, I, I, it's gonna sound like a like a generation, definitely generational. Like that's one of the things. Like, I think people today, in general, not 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 any specific generation, but just people today in general, um, are are afraid to earn, not afraid, um, are impatient to earn their stripes, if you will, and uh, they take things personal. Like, hey, you're dismissing me. I have a lot of good information, but yet you're making me do you know, the filing or the copying or whatever at the office. And mm-hmm. it's like, everybody had to start there and come up, you know? Yes. Um, so speaking of that though, you, you met your husband on the job, right? I did. 
how, how did that go over? Like, tell that, talk, tell that story. I'd love to hear the personal story. Well, it was kind of a crazy story, but you know, he, I mean, he was, he was in the station, the first station. But when I first saw him, I was uh, going through boot camp. We call it death camp. And he was in charge he, of uh, delivering green telephone poles to the fire academy for us to stop and chop. So I wasn't really fond of seeing him then. Um, but when I pulled my little, uh, you know, we had a, once we completed our training and we were going to go on shift after the five and a half weeks, we actually, this is how primitive it was back in the day. The uh, training, the battalion chief put a, put a, uh, every shift, you know, A, B and C shift in a hat. And you had to pull, a, you had to pull it out of the hat to see what shift you were going to be on. So I pulled it out and it was a alpha shift and that happened to be the shift he was on and the station he was in. And so, um, you know, we were friends. I mean, he, he had been in the coast guard. He was 18 years old and then got hired to the fire department 26. So he had, he had been around and done some stuff and, you know, we were just, we were really just friends, but there was that, you know, there was that chemistry. I said, it's instantaneous combustion right from the beginning, but I was <laughs> like, no, I'm not doing this, you know, and he was, he was the same way. And, uh, in the meantime, uh, the boyfriend that, uh, that had left me, uh, decided he wanted to try again because now I had a real job. And so I said, yeah, we'll try it again. He was a good guy. I don't, I'm not dissing him like that. He was a good guy, but you know, you, you grow up, you're not the same person at 30 that you are at 17. Right. And uh, so, you know, it was funny. I was going to EMT school and, uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, there was just this, this smoldering attraction, you know, you just, it's like, you, it's like you're looking at a hurricane and you know, it's going to come, but you just, you're just trying to turn your head and avoid it and not even think about it. And um, so anyway, uh, I, my boyfriend would go visit his parents up in New York all the time because he had Kelly days and all that. So right. he went up to see his parents. I was at the end of EMT school and I, man, I, I had never my, in my entire life been driven to the keys by myself. So I drove to the keys. I, I, I finished EMT school. He drove me to Miami. Mark did my husband. He drove me to Miami to take my test because I wasn't familiar with really with Miami and uh, passed the test and we went to dinner and um, you know, he dropped me off. He was perfect gentleman, dropped me off at my house and, and, and peck on the cheek and see on shift. And I just happened to drop the hint. <laughs> I'm going to the keys for the weekend. I, I've got money now. I have a real paycheck. I can, I can actually, I booked a hotel. I have, I, I can buy a really good dinner. I'm just so excited. So I I'll never forget the feeling. And I say it in the book, there was, it was intoxicating after being poor and then going through all this training and finally finding this absolutely wonderful career. I was so happy. And here I am in this Jeep, you know, with the top down, the sides out, and I'm driving down and all you see is this turquoise, beautiful water on both sides and smelling the salt air. And I booked a little room and, and I'm laying out. And next thing I know, I look up and I, I said, uh, he's, there he is standing there at the foot of my chair with a fishing pole in his hand. <laughs> said, Oh, I thought I'd come down this fishing." I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. Well, from then on, we were pretty much inseparable. And um, probably the cat was out of the bag when uh, we, we used to go to the, uh, the, it was like a County specific place to get our paychecks. That was before, you know, they just eat, 
came out. So we, the cat was out of the bag and we got separated, which was good. I didn't want to work with him then. He didn't want to work with me, but we would run calls together and uh, we ran fires together. And, you know, we never, I, I had a policy. I, I never went up to him, never hugged him, never did, touched him. We we're very professional. And that's how we, that's how we did our career. So that's pretty smart. I mean, like, so the department obviously, you know, said, Hey, you guys can't work together, but you guys can still be, you know, on the same shift but just different different houses right Is right that right and and so <laughs> excuse me um so was was there any issue between like any of the other uh, any other team members on the sh- any other firefighters that were on the shift with you guys or was there any scuttle butt going on about that kind of stuff or was it pretty much uh, all handled uh quietly it was handled pretty well because you know, it wasn't like he was married and we were fooling around. It wasn't like that. Right, we were both right. single people. And of course, you know, I believe truly that once we became an item, it was very healthy for us not to be working in the same station because right, that right. does cause, and there were actually, uh, there were actually married, you know, people, paramedics back in the day that were on the same truck or working together. And I thought, oh my God, I couldn't stand it. You yeah. know, I could not stand that. That's too much togetherness for me. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, that there were couples that were together, but basically, um, you know, there were the only, the only thing uh, probably is later on people, he would say things to him, maybe like, well, I wouldn't want my wife to be a firefighter. And, um, you know, uh, once we were married and then, and, and he, he's just such a, a cool guy that he's like, what do I care, man? I, you know, she's making, she's going up through the ranks making more money than I'm making. You know, right. she's, what would I care? I mean, she, I met her on the job and that was the thing. I met you on the job. You knew exactly what I was going to do. And so it was, it was, it was easy. And and then, you know, the guys were great because we, we didn't have any family that we were going to have a wedding. So we actually took, I took my wedding, my $300 wedding dress and we flew to Jamaica, got married on the beach at Sandals and, came back and threw a big old party, all the firefighters, you know, and us. And I had a wedding cake. I have a picture of it in the book of us yep. dancing. <laughs> and that was it. And, and we'll be married. It'll be, uh, actually, I, I will tell you this. We dated for a year and we lived together for a year. I said, I'm not doing that. And then we'll be married 33 years, uh, February 23rd. Congratulations. Thank you. That's awesome. Thank so you. last question here, because the, the reason why we got, the conversation to the relationship is because, you know, when you're working under stress, under pressures and things like this, we do develop relationships with each other and, and, yeah. uh, and whatnot, <clears throat> you know? And so I think that's a, that's a critical question regardless if it's, a, uh, uh, however the relationship bonds. Um, now, what, now one of the things that, you know, we talk about here specifically, you know, in the field of, of fire, police, emergency management, public safety in general is, is really like, really trying to encourage more uh, women to, to get into the field because diversity is great. What, what advice would you give somebody who's trying to break into any of those fields, you know, in the public safety or into any other uh, male dominated uh, field to, to the women that are trying to uh, break into those fields or, or I should say break in, but get into like everybody else, get the job. I would tell them to do your homework. Um, I would tell them to, um, have have your honest you know honesty be your guiding light with with whatever career whether it be police department or fire rescue or any male dominated go in with integrity 
draw your line in the sand of what you think is going to be, what's going to be appropriate to you and what is not. Uh, and just go in there and say, hey, I'm here and, and prepare physically and mentally for whatever it is that the profession uh, requires. But go into it, go into it with a positive attitude, because I will tell you, most people and I will tell you, most men that I met, they were they were wonderful. As long as I wasn't going to, I you know, as long as they didn't feel like they had to do my job and their job, too. But they they were they knew and um, they knew I was tough. They knew I was competent. So I would say to, to females, be tough, be confident, be fair, um, but continue, continue education, continue training. And, and, but, but be proud of, of being a female. You're not a male. Be proud of being a female and be proud to be an asset to such a great profession. But on the flip side, don't, don't play the woman card. Don't be afraid to ask for help when it's genuinely needed or advice of, of like, I was, I was the least mechanically inclined person you would ever meet in your life. But I learned and I learned because I listened. I listened to two guys that tried to teach me everybody, but my husband, we would fight about it. (laughs) So he couldn't teach me, but everybody else could. Um, but I would crawl underneath the trucks when I was, you know, driver engineer, uh, when I was kept upgrading, I would put on those goggles and get on the, get on the, um, creeper and crawl underneath and gloves. And I would check all those fluids. I would, you know, you, you know what it's like. You have to operate the pumps and the tools. That's a whole different, I say being a driver engineer is that's, it's difficult, but you know, just learn. And I was always going to school. I was, you know, I probably went to school because I, I had that drive and that hunger that I wanted to promote. And yeah. uh, so, you know, I was, I was always looking at, you know, the next thing, training for this, training for that. And then, of course, I had to become a paramedic. We were on the job 15 years and fire and rescue uh, merged. Right. And so in order to really move up the ranks, and, and I was always curious about medicine. I liked being an EMT. I loved patient care, didn't want to be a nurse, didn't want to, didn't get into the job to be a paramedic. But, you know, that was fulfilling for me in another way. Right. And just prepared to do, be prepared to be training all the time and, and, and go for it and, and know that you genuinely make a difference in people's lives. Last question, Sister and Brotherhood, how do I find this book? You can find the book on Amazon. I also have a website, uh, sisterandabrotherhood.com, and it will direct you to uh, ordering that book, uh, amazon.com. I'm doing some a uh, couple of pop-ups around, but basically amazon.com or go on my website and it'll direct you to to where you can order it. Uh, if you're not Amazon, um, you know, if you have like, uh, it has Kindle, you have you can reach a book nook or if you have a, you know, Apple, it, there's, there's, it will direct you to the proper, proper place to order it no matter what. And all that information is down in the show notes son. if you're driving and your pencil's not sharp, don't fret, just go to the show notes. You can click on the link down there and get to <laughs> uh, Sydney's book. Hey, Sydney, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for, for reaching out. It's been uh, truly a pleasure talking with you, Todd. Absolutely. I hope it's not the last time. Hope we get to speak again. For sure, for sure. Everybody, thank you so much for joining us this uh, this uh, uh, for today. I, I also forgot to in the beginning to thank Dan Scott for uh, for filling in for me last week. Um, I really the COVID really just knocked me out, and uh, I do appreciate everybody's support um, on that. And Dan, thank you again uh, for for stepping in um, when uh, 
I, I really couldn't talk that well. Until next week, everybody, please stay safe. Oh, one last thing. Please go to your to your podcast, favorite podcast player and share it and give us a rating. And uh, I'd love to have that support. And until next week, stay safe. Stay hydrated.